0: You're listening to a Broadmoor podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady preaches from Romans chapter 12 as we continue to work our way through the entire book of Romans. As we listen, may we be both encouraged and challenged by God's Word to us. Well, good morning church, how are we? great. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Romans chapter 12? Romans 12. Church, we made it! We are out of the first 11 chapters. Aren't you excited? Yes, praise God. It's been a good season. Uh, Looking back on our calendar, I thought, this seems like we've been at this a while. Uh, We started Romans 1-1 on September 11th. Uh, And here we are, the first Sunday in March, and we are getting into the application chapters of this letter, and I can't wait. It is going to be good Uh, over the last three weeks. We have enjoyed, I I almost said endured, but I'm going to change that to enjoyed uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 uh, in that many verses to cover, sometimes 32, sometimes 36. Today we have eight, and I found myself in the preparation and praying and writing I don't know if I could get through two today, just two verses, because they are so good and, and rich. So with that being said, and without belaboring anything else, let us jump into to this text. So as you turn your Bibles to, to, to Romans chapter 12, I want you to understand that this whole letter was written to bring two opposing groups that shouldn't be opposing one another. They, they were a Jewish group and a Gentile group that both proclaimed faith in Christ, but they insisted on their way as being more supreme than the other's way. Uh, and so what Paul is doing through this whole letter is he's saying to them, hey, hey listen, Jewish uh, believers, hey, listen, Gentile believers, the only thing that's going to heal what's broken between you and inside of you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so from there he spends paul spends in the first 11 chapters Now remember this letter wasn't written in chapters. It was just a letter the 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 chapters and verses come way later uh, As far as stylizing so we can better understand them as readers today, but they would just receive a letter but for three quarters of this letter Is all built on why they believed what they believed What is theology? What is it to rightly think about God? And here we get to chapters 12 through midway through 15, and we start to answer the question, okay, if we have a right theology, if we have a right belief, what does that theology then do in our life? How do we live out what we believe? That's where we are today, and that's where we'll be for the next foreseeable future as we jump into this text. And just last point of illustration, last week gave the illustration of the helicopter being in, and and the end of chapter 11, Paul gives us an opportunity to, to not only see what God is doing in and through our lives, but in and through the lives of all of his created beings And in there, we get to see this this majestic view of God's sovereign hand, not just over us and not just over our family, but over all of those who are under his watch care and what he is doing to will them and to move them. And the goal wasn't for us to have an understanding of who God is, Paul would say at the end of 11, who can understand God's will, but the purpose of the view The purpose of better seeing God's sovereignty is to drive our hearts to trust and obey. To drive our hearts to worship Him in spirit and in truth. But now we get to the practical section. We get to the section where most people like in Romans going through these chapters because it's very practical, it's very helpful, it's challenging, it's life-giving. So with all that being said, let's jump in to verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, uh, again, I told you the first two verses are thick and rich with doctrinal goodness and incredibly simple, profound, and powerful application, okay? So we're gonna spend a few minutes on some of these words, right? So the first word I want you to see, uh, out of the ESV, it says appeal. Your Bible, if you're using a different translation, may say implore or beg. The the heart behind this is, in view of everything that I've just said, I am begging you with all that I am. So, So whatever he's about to say is extremely, extremely important. And then he uses a word that that I think most translations use, and it's therefore, okay? So when you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to pause and really focus on the words that come next, because it is going to be the culmination of everything that has come before it. Maybe you've heard it this way. When you see therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and see what it's there for. You got, look, y'all would have passed seminary day one. It's so good. That cost you $50,000 right there. It's fantastic. (laughs) So what comes before this? If we're going to stop and see what what is before this, what are we stopping to see what it's there for? What has come all the way up until this moment? Well, everything from Romans 1 all the way to the end of chapter 11. It's the theological richness and the depth of the gospel. So what words does Paul use here? This is what he says in verse 1. By or because of the mercies of God. So everything Paul has written so far has put a spotlight on these mercies of God. I have just a few. There there are many. This is just a few, but I want to remind you of them. Justification is a mercy of God. That's salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Foreknowledge, predestination, election, and calling the beautiful and unmeasurable sovereignty of God. The fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The fact that there is nothing if you are in Christ Jesus that can ever separate you from his love. The fact that God is working all things for good of those who love him and who are called to his purpose. That's just a few. By no means is that exhaustive by any nature, but those are the mercies of God that are in view. So Paul says, I'm begging you with all that I am, that in view of those and the countless others that we've covered in all of this beginning letter, I want you to to do something. I want you to to act on it. So here's the ask. Here's what he is begging you to do, us to do. He says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Now, because of God's goodness, we are to offer a sacrifice to God. Now, to to be fair, we're speaking to Jewish believers and Gentile believers in first century. So for the Jewish believers, they would fully understand this concept because they understand the sacrificial system. The Gentile believers, from whatever walks of life they've been in, they have seen more than likely the the sacrificial system at work. So so this isn't a far-fetched concept as far as God is good, we are not, therefore we must sacrifice to God. This would be consistent with their view. But the object of this sacrifice... The one that Paul is calling them to is different. It's new. Paul says they are to offer their bodies. We are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's strange see old testament practices would call for an offering of the works of our hands or the ability of our bodies. so for example if you had sinned and and you need a blood offering then you are to go and buy a bull and sacrifice that bull or have that bull sacrificed in your stead so so you do something to go out and get the sacrifice you pay for it and then you bring that to the table Or maybe it's a grain offering. Maybe it was something that you have grown from your field, and now it's something that you are going to present. I did this thing, God, and I want you, because of what I've done, to look past my sinfulness. These sacrifices could cover the the sinfulness of our life, the, the blood offering and the grain offerings and the many other offerings that are listed throughout the Old Testament, what happens here is, is God is trying to, or is in the sacrificial system, protecting us from his wrath towards our sin. But because of Christ and his work on the cross, God's wrath has been satisfied, doing away with the old sacrificial system, and now ushering in something new, something better and something more life-giving. We are no longer called, listen to this, to offer what we can do or what we can get in hopes of that fixing our plight. We are called to offer ourselves every aspect of who we are. Hear it it this way maybe. Because of God's mercies extended towards you, your only right response is to offer yourself to God, not a tenth of yourself, not a tithe of yourself. Not a portion, not just the good stuff, but all of you. For this, according to the Bible, is holy and acceptable to God. It's called worship. The only right and reasonable response to God's goodness, church, is worship. And before we get too ahead of ourselves, I'm not talking about what we just did for 20 minutes. I'm not talking about what you got dressed up to to come today. I'm not talking about when you go into to your, your Bible studies throughout the week or your, your accountability groups throughout the week. I'm not talking about where you are setting aside a certain segment of your day to go and do this thing. Paul says there's a brand new way because of what Christ has done. It is the totality of your life is now worship to God, or at least it should be. And the moments that we begin to segment it again to one hour on Sunday, or this 30-minute segment on a Monday or a Tuesday, or this 45-minute meeting, or if you're super spiritual, your two-hour Bible study, if you are segmenting and calling that worship, we're missing out on God's design for us. God's calling us to come to Him 24-7 with all that we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And here's the beauty of it, that because we come through Christ, Because He is the one who has covered our life and we are now robed in His righteousness. All that we are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, is now beautiful to the Father. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. It's called worship. True, right, God-honoring worship has very little to do with a building or music or preaching or teaching or other people or nice clothes. True and right and God-honoring worship has everything to do with the totality of who we are, who God created us to be. And worship that God delights in is when we come and surrender 100% of us to his lordship. It sounds like this, God, I am here, all of me, and I am yours. Now, you may be sitting here today. You think, whoa, that's, that's a lot to take in. Can I just show up a few times a month, throw a few dollars in the offering bucket, and we call it good? No. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, hey, I know that's true, but, but that's so hard today. Maybe that was really good for them 2,000 years ago in the first century. Maybe, maybe that was easier for them. Josh, don't you understand the world we live in today is vastly different than the world that this letter was written to in the first century. Could I encourage you to understand this? It's not all that different. The world was really worldly then, and the world is really worldly today. Believers are called to be different and set apart, not because of what is inside of us as carnal men and women, but because of what has been trusted to us as the deposit and guarantee of the Holy Spirit work in our life, that we now belong to Christ, therefore we are different from this world. That's exactly why Paul gives the warning and the encouragement of verse 2. Look with it. Look with me, if you will. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good acceptable and perfect All right so so everything from this point forward is going to be simple practical and powerful it will be easy and it may already be happening in your heart to say well this is all well and good But I'm sure this is more of a suggestion than a command. I need you to take that thought captive right now. These are not suggestions. These are commands of God. What what I mean by that, not not commands like, or or demands in the sense of, well, you're going to do this because I want it my way and I don't like your way. It is commands of God in the sense of, I have good plan for you and anything outside my plan is not good for you. So when we read these, and if you feel that that thing that's been there from the beginning start to well up in your heart and say, I mean, I hear that, but but what about this way? Hey, I hear that. And then then maybe, because even as I was reading through this, there's a thought and praying through and writing a sermon. And I'm like, okay, what did Paul really intend? And so the line that crosses my mind is, did God really say that? Have you ever heard that line before? That's what got us in trouble in the garden. Did God really say? And then the lies began to unfold for humanity. And so when we get to moments like this, and Paul is saying, I'm begging you with all that I am, with every breath that is left in my body, I implore you, in view of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, for this is good and pleasing. This is your act of reasonable or spiritual worship. And this is what he says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world or this world. The two words I want you to focus on in verse 2 is conformed and transformed. They're two different words. Many times we look at them as, as the same and we interchange them. They're not the same. Here, here's the picture here. The first word, whenever we see the the, the conformed, right? So, so this is what Paul is telling us not to be to the world. Uh, you will see where I live most of my days with a, a, a wonderful six-year-old and a wonderful three-year-old who love to play Play-Doh all the time. It is the imagery of... Uh, mass, uh, a shapeless form, as it were, and then you, you take whatever it is in our house, it's Disney princesses, it's uh, pizza maker, it's, um, it's spaghetti pusher outer, uh, but whatever it is, you put it into the thing, and, and you just smush it together really hard and keep enough pressure over time, and then you take the mold off, and it's the thing, but it's not really a thing. It just kind of looks like it. it, has the form of the thing, but it's still Play-Doh. And so, what Paul Paul is—he's not talking about Plato here—but what he is saying is, what the world's going to do is, if you live in it long enough and you're not careful, it is going to put pressure on you, and it's going to cause you to love what it loves, to adore what it adores, and to hate what it hates. It's going to cause you to go where it wants you to go and stop where it tells you to stop, and you're not going to think twice about it because it is conforming you into its image. That's the opposite of what God's children are called to be. So that's why Paul says, it's not just a suggestion. I'm begging you with every breath that I am. Don't let that be you. So instead of conforming to the world, what he says is we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Here's the difference in those. Conformed is outside pressure to make inside change. It's never lasting. Never lasting. Where we have transformation, it's inside change that leads to outward effects. It is everlasting. And that's what we, as children of God, as those who have been redeemed by Christ, are called to live in, not to be conformed, but to be transformed. But how do we do that? How, how, how is it? It would be really helpful if Paul would go on to say, and here's how you transform your mind. But sadly in Romans, he doesn't do that for us. Thanks, Paul. But thankfully we have 65 other books of the Bible that teach us what it is to transform our minds by, by renewing our minds and be transformed. And it usually happens in two ways across the course of the totality of scripture. And it's this, first and foremost, it's by the work of the Holy Spirit second, it is by the work of the word of God. The Holy spirit leads us. The word of God is going to guide us. It's going to tell us go here. We go there. It tells us don't go there. Don't go there. It is the guide set up in our life that as the spirit leads us, we are going to be able to discern what is good more to that in just a second. So Paul says this, we, we are, we are to understand that, 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 To be conformed is bad, to be transformed is good, but but how does this work? He says, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is. His good, acceptable, and perfect will. All right? So you and we, I, we, we all of us, are transformed from the inside out by the renewing of our mind. Here is just a principle of life you need to know. You change the way you think, you're going to change the way you act. This is not pop psychology. This is real life. This is God's design for humanity. Change the way you think, you will change the way you act. It is why in the garden, when the enemy attacked Eve and Adam in the garden, he put a doubt in their mind before they would act. Did God really say? And it took that thought change to lead to action. So for us, we need to understand that's still at work in us. Our actions will always follow our thoughts, all right? So how are we supposed to renew our mind? Well, Paul doesn't give that to us in this verse, but, but we see that it's through the work of the Spirit and the, the Word of God, all right? Here's how all of this works together. With a continually renewed mind. So, so the action here uh, is, is the, the verb in the Greek, it continues. So it's not like you renew your mind once. You don't renew your mind on the day of your baptism, You don't renew your mind on the the day of salvation. You don't renew your mind just just one moment in time and then you're good. It's a constant renewal. It's what was Paul saying here. So the Holy Spirit is leading, and God's word is directing. And this will allow you to test and discern, to, to see the will of God for your life. You will be able to see if it is good, if it's acceptable. And if it's perfect, whoa, that's incredible. It's almost like we have a superpower. I would say it's even better than that. It's a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so, so what are we supposed to do with this newfound ability? If we're gonna be led by the Spirit and guided by the Word and we can now see God's will around us that that, that way is good and that way is not good, that we can see that this is gonna be good joy for our life and that's not gonna be, how do we use this? This is, this is too much power. What do we do? Look at verse three. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. All right, so, so Paul gives another command here, an impassioned plea. He says, and your new-found ability to think, to, to see and test God's will, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment. What is a sober judgment? How, how do you discern that you have that? This is the meaning behind it. Judgment that's not affected by anything from the outside. Namely, what you can do or what others think of your abilities. We are to measure ourselves by what God has given to us. Measured by the faith that has been trusted to us in Jesus Christ. Hear it a different way. If you're a follower of Christ, then your only boasting is in Christ. Nothing else. Your boasting is not in your abilities for Christ. It's not in your your boasting in your abilities to Christ. It is only boasting in Christ and Christ alone. What he has done and who he is. If you ever find yourself thinking, yep, God's going to use me because I'm pretty awesome. Man, God's going to use me because of the stuff that I've been through. My my test is going to turn into a testimony. God just needs me on that team. Man, God sees the potential I have. He, He needs me on that team that would be no longer sober judgment. The reason that God uses you, the reason God uses me, the reason God uses any of us, is because of Christ. It's because of His glory. It's at the end of the day when He uses us, and and this is a whole other sermon for a whole other day, God uses weak vessels to bring Him the most glory. So it's never should be our thought at the end of the day, man, God really used me today. The thought should be, how in the world did God just use it? I can't believe he said that. I, I don't even know where those words came from. I never had the boldness to go and do that before. I never in the, in, in the world had resources to go and do it because it was never about you. It was never about us. It was all about God. But don't lose the fact that God has created you for a purpose. And here is how that should be understood in your life, in the collective lives of the faith family. Look at verse 4 and 5. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. All right, so this may sound familiar. Paul writes about this a little more extensively in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. Paul gives the illustration here of the body of Christ and to help explain the the gifts of the Spirit that have been given to every believer. So so this is kind of how it goes. And in the same way that the body is made up of many parts, and all the parts working correctly and working together make the body function as it should, this is precisely how giftings should work in the church. Everybody has different giftings, but everybody is bringing those giftings to the table to use them, to bring God glory and to share good with God's people, all right? Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So just so we're clear, the fact that you have a differing gift and the person sitting next to you is not punishment to you or them, it is good. It is grace to us that we have different giftings. It says, let us use them. So he says, if prophecy, in portion of our faith. If in service, then in our serving. The one who teaches and is teaching. The one who exhorts and is exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. To the one who leads with zeal. To the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. cheerfulness. So wherever you go, whatever you do. Here's Paul's words. Use it. You were given giftings, you were given passions, desires in your heart for the glory of God for a very real reason. And that reason is to glorify God and to bring good to your communities. Here's the issue though. If you don't use those gifts, the whole church is gonna suffer. So let's go back to the illustration of the body and its parts. If you have healthy eyes, but you choose not to open those eyes, the whole body is going to suffer because it can't see where it's going. If you have healthy feet, but you choose not to walk on those feet, then the whole body is going to suffer. If you have healthy ears, but you choose not to listen, the whole body is going to suffer. When the body of Christ chooses not to use its giftings, its blessings, then the whole body suffers and becomes frustrated and goes nowhere. Now, As we end our time today, and I'll ask our worship team to come back up, but please don't pack up. This is, I think, really important, and and this illustration I'm going to give you, it's personal to me, but I think it's going to be really applicable to us today. I think it'll connect. Let's see. So to understand the body of Christ and the gifts that make it up is certainly a maturity thing, meaning the more we walk with Christ, the more we're going to understand better the gifts that he's trusted to us. The more that we live life, the more that we're going to see that, that, that okay, well, maybe my gifting I thought was really broad, but I'm, I'm really called to this very specific thing. And the only thing that's going to get you there is guiding by the Holy Spirit and wisdom through the word of God, right? So, so we know it's, it's a maturing thing. And the more we walk and the more we live and the more we practice these things, we realize what God is calling us to do. Now, to illustrate my point, I want to invite you into a typical day for me of picking up my three-year-old from preschool. I get her from her classroom and I say, hey, baby girl, it's time to go. And she says, yay, daddy, let's go. And so she is gung-ho, she's ready, gets her backpack, gets her water bottle, gets her happy napper, and we're out the door. There is mission and there's excitement about the mission. And she can't even contain it We get halfway down the hallway and she turns to me and says I'm tired I need you to hold me And I look at her and say nope You got feet, use them So she walks another five, six feet And she turns around and says "Uh uh-oh I said what? My feet don't work (laughs) What you mean your feet don't work? I can't walk my feet They don't work She lays down All right So, so at this point, we're, we're about right here in the church. So, so preschool's that way. There's a stairwell right here. And I said, okay, Lydia, listen to me, babe. We have to get up that stairwell and we're not far from daddy's office. Then your feet cannot work and it'll be just fine. She said, "Uh oh, I said, what? My eyes don't work either. (laughs) So at this point, she is now sitting on the floor, eyes closed, just doing this. And I'm like, Lydia, babe, we we've got to go. Remember, we're we're done with school, let's go. Mission, excitement, we're there. She can't go because her feet are not working and her eyes are not working. So where we once had this, this zeal, this excitement, this passion for the mission that was before us, we are now sitting at the bottom of the stairwell on our bottoms with our feet not working and our eyes not opening and we're waiting. What are we waiting on? We're waiting on feet to work again and eyes to open. And for her, it seems like a fun little game. But for daddy who has to get back to work, it's pretty frustrating. And it causes frustration between us. And it's in that moment that I begin to be frustrated at her and I may begin to speak more firmly to her. And she may begin to speak more firmly right back at me. But we are now at an impasse and the mission is paused the excitement is gone and we sit at the bottom of the stairs. Too often, church, this is us. Where there at one point for us was an incredible mission that stands before us. We know we are to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to trust that God is going to be with us until the very end of the age. That is the mission. We, we also know that we have excitement for the mission because God has promised that he has all power and authority and that he's going to be with us at the end. So what else do we need? And we start off on our journey and we get tired. And we say, uh-oh, my feet don't work. Uh-oh, my eyes don't work. My hands don't work. I'm tired. And a church that was on mission is now stagnant. They have all the theology in the world, but they're not obedient to the call to go. I'm not saying that that is you, but I am certainly saying that's easily us. And so when we get to chapters 12 and 13 and 14 and 15, you're going to see incredible practical calls to real life response in view of all the theology that we covered in chapters one through 11. A church can be, have incredibly good theology. It could be better than anything else. But if your theology doesn't lead to life, then your theology is worthless. And so as we sit here today, the choice that we have to make is what are we gonna do with what we know to be true? How will we rightly respond to the goodness of God? in view of his mercies, what are you gonna do with your life? Paul says, give it up. Surrender it. Surrender it every day and surrender it always. Say to the Father, here is my life, it's yours anyway, you've bought it, do with it as you see fit. And that's not just for an hour on Sunday or for your Bible studies in the week, that's for every breath you have left on this side of eternity. Because listen to me, we are a big church. We are made up of many, many, many parts, but we are one body. We are the body of Christ, who is the head. And so we know what he has told us to do to make disciples. We know the passion in which he shared that. We know the the zeal, the the excitement that we have when we first receive that message. The question now becomes, what is standing in the way of you to walk in obedience? So here we go. Moving to invitation time. This will be a little bit different today. Should it be okay? I don't know where you are. Like like in your, your walk with the Lord. I would assume you love him and you love his word. You wouldn't be here today more than likely if you didn't. I assume that that you have a desire to bring him glory and, and good to the people that are around you. But here's what I also believe is true for everybody here, including myself. We find that we toe a line between real life and church life. What I'm telling you today is there's no real life and church life for a Christian. It's all Christ life. Okay. If that's true What are the things Standing in your way What are the things that you've said to the father My feet don't work My eyes don't work My hands don't work What are those things that you've said Nope not doing that too hard tired. That you need to confess that to him And surrender him today So here's going to be our invitation this morning In this response time, this is an altar. You're welcome to come and pray. But I'm begging you with all that I am, with every breath that I have. In view of what God has done for you, for me and for all of humanity, it's time to surrender it all. You'll have ministers down front to pray. There'll be people right over here in this exit, fireside, if you would like to pray there. But I'm asking each and every one of us to consider in view of what we know, our theology. How is that affecting how we live every day? What's standing in the way of our obedience to the Father? However you need to respond, I'm begging you to do that today. Please do not leave this place the same person that walked in these doors. Let me pray for us and we'll move into response time. Father, I love you and I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. Thank you for practical application to surrender, to see that we have been given gifts. It's not just gifts that are to be used every now and again, or maybe when we're older, but it's gifts to be used every day with every moment that we have left on this side of eternity. So Lord, I ask now in this invitation time, would you speak to our hearts? Would you stir our hearts to respond in whatever way that you see fit that's going to bring you glory and us good? Help us to repent of the places that we've said, I'm not going to do that, or I'll do that later, or that seems hard, or that's inconvenient. Help us see those things, Lord, and, and repent of those things and say, Lord, here I am, all of me. Use me however you see fit. Let us live continually as living sacrifices to you. By your Spirit's grace and the guidance of your word, help us to have our minds continually renewed. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your name that we pray and now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?